0: Happy holidays, ladies and gents. I hope you all had a nice Thanksgiving this past week. It's a great time to give thanks and spend time with the people you love. Before we kick off this episode, I want to say that I am thankful for you all. Those who tune into the podcast and support in any capacity, whether it is by listening, sharing my podcast to friends, or commenting and rating the podcast. I just want to say that I really appreciate you. It's a bit hard for me because I'm not able to thank you all personally, or realize who is actually listening to the podcast. But if you can, reach out to me via Instagram, at madmikehorror, and let me know you've been listening, or provide feedback to me regarding how you feel about the podcast. I will personally... Reach back out to you. I'm also planning to kick off my strange mystery series, That's So Strange, on my YouTube channel, Mad Mike. So subscribe using the link in my description and stay tuned. To kick off today's episode, I will bring you all to the campfire for a quick tell about a mysterious car that this guy encounters in a long stretch of road in the middle of the night. So, Grab your popcorn, your drinks, and let's dive deep into this truly terrifying encounter. A few years ago I was a university student in Eastern Washington, but dating a girl in Western Washington. I was visiting her for the weekend during the summer when we got into a huge fight around midnight and I left, deciding to head back to my apartment. I mention this for context as to why I was driving through Snoqualmie Pass after one in the morning. I'd never gone through the pass so late before, and what is usually a very busy stretch of freeway on the I-90 was completely empty. I went well over an hour without seeing a single vehicle going either way, so naturally, I was driving way too fast. At the time I had a 73 Chevy Nova. It wasn't quite the classic, but it had power and a complete lack of AC. Even though it was late at night, the combination of a warm summer night and the large amount of heat that bleeds through from the engine meant that I had my windows down and was sweating. Not far into the east side of the mountains, around 1.30, I hit a long stretch of straight road that doesn't have any on-ramp or any way to get onto the freeway, when suddenly, a set of headlights appeared behind me something like 200 feet back. I glanced back at the lights, puzzled as to where the vehicle could have possibly come from. I noticed that despite the fact that I was absolutely hauling, the lights were gaining on me. I decided to switch lanes and slow down a bit so it could pass. After a moment, the vehicle, now only half that distance, moved over behind me into the same lane this is when I began to panic. I'm in the middle of nowhere, hadn't seen another vehicle in over an hour, and now I've got some aggressive driver running up on me. I watched as those lights got closer. 60 feet, 50 feet, 40 feet, in seconds it was upon me. I braced against the steering wheel, expecting to get rear-ended by a vehicle going much faster than me now i watched in my rearview mirror in horror as those headlights blasted right into the back of my vehicle and suddenly everything froze quite literally nothing physically hit me but the whole vehicle frosted over and i could see my breath i hit the brakes and did my best to pull over despite not being able to see through my windshield. Every hair on my body was standing on end. I got out of my vehicle, and paced back and forth, examining my car, which was already starting to defrost as streams of water poured down on it. There was no damage to my back bumper, and absolutely no sign of whatever vehicle had hit me. Eventually I calmed down enough to get back in the car and drive the rest of the way back, wake my roommates and explain what had just happened. The next time I drove through the area in the daylight, right about where I think the ghost car hit me, there was a very old wooden cross, somewhat overgrown, on the side of the road. I wonder what the old wooden cross was all about. The person who wrote this story claims that the cross seemed old and was very hard to spot on the side of the road, and seemed to have some writing on it, but he was going so fast he was unable to read what was on it. Chances are, the cross may not be standing anymore due to weather or high winds. What's even more scary about this tale was that the writer of the story claimed to have been telling this exact story at a brewery one night, specifically the Iron Horse Brewery in Ellensburg, and it just so happened that another old gentleman at the bar had a very similar encounter on the exact same stretch of road. But before the writer of the story could ask more questions... The guy finished his drink and left, seemingly upset. In the comment sections of this Reddit post, it seems more people had experiences on the I-90, with one user commenting that their parents were once driving on the road and saw another car beside them with no one in their driver's seat. That year was 1948. If you thought that strange encounter on the road was truly terrifying, I have another tale from a caller, who also explains another phantom car whom they encountered on a mountainous trail of road. A truly terrifying encounter that is still unexplained. Hey man,
1: uh Check it out. This is like the only experience that I could say uh that that that, that was a real experience. Um so a long time ago I lived in uh, Tennessee in a place called Cleveland, which was near the mountains. Um a friend of mine, uh Chip and I worked at the same uh, restaurant, a Taco Bell. And we would um, take these trips to the mountains and smoke a little weed or whatever after work. It was kind of what we did. So anyway, we were going to the mountain to uh, smoke weed. Um, so let me explain this mountain. This mountain is called Chill Basically, there's one way up the mountain... Um, and that's the only way back down the mountain. There's one road up and then there's a turnaround up top and you have to come back down the same way. There's a couple pull-offs otherwise like, yeah, there's nothing but like a huge drop-off. So anyway, um, we're in my pickup truck, like a small S10 pickup truck and we were kind of freaking each other out that day um talking about goats and what have you so anyway we're we're headed up the mountain when we passed this truck at first it seemed like there was nothing um i can describe the truck still to this day and you know i know if we called my friend chip he'd tell you the same exact story crazy so anyway this truck it was like a blue toyota lifted like mud tires it had a big whip antenna that was bent down into the into the bed it had mud splashes up the side um dark windows and it had one of those orange igloo coolers and a um like a uh dog kennel or truck box or whatever um So anyway, we passed it, um, didn't really pay any mind. There's not many vehicles driving up and down that mountain at whatever, it was like 10, 11 o'clock at night or something. So obviously we noticed it, but we uh, kept going and minding our own business. So we get up a little bit further up the road and we see some headlights coming. So you kind of, you know, slow down. It's kind of a narrow road and it's that exact same blue truck coming down and we're like weird that was like the exact same blue truck right and, you know my friend chip is like yeah that looked exactly the same so we like you know we examined it like yeah it had the, the mud splashes and the orange igloo container and the it was like 100% identical so we Keep going up to the mountain. Now, mind you, we had, like, a specific spot towards the top of the mountain. We'd go hang out in this, like, gazebo and and uh, chief, as the kids say. Um, so we're going up, you know, up the twisty still. We see some headlights coming again. And we're like, dude, that'd be crazy if it was if it was the blue truck again. And I shit you not, it was uh same blue truck. We slowed down and everything. We're like, what the hell, man? Um, Same mud splashes, everything. Same truck. Like, 100% identical. Now, this is the point where we started getting a little nervous, and I asked him, um, was there any way for that vehicle to turn around and go back to the top of the mountain and come back down to, to to, to fuck with us. And, you know, he's a Tennessee native. I'm a Yankee but and, and and sorts. So he's like, no man, like, you know, and I've been to the top, I know. So you know no man, there's no way. It's absolutely impossible. There's only one road up and only one road down. It's the same road. It's empirically impossible. So we're starting to get a little nervous and, you know, kind of like ghosting each other out a little bit. It It's pretty scary, I'm not going to lie, at this point. So we're getting, we're almost to our spot. And we see some headlights coming. And I'm like, I swear to God, dude, if that's a blue truck with mud on it we're fucking out of here. And no bullshit. I mean, I I don't know how to explain the sincerity in this. But it was the exact same blue truck for the fourth time with mud splashes, whip antenna, dog kennel, the orange igloo. So... At this point, we were so terrified. We whipped my truck around in the middle of the road and hauled, and I'm talking 70 miles an hour down a a mountain with tight roads. And, and come to think of it now, on the way down, we never passed that truck. Um, and we were hauling ass down that road. We never passed it. We never saw it again. I never really thought about that. Um, yeah, it was it was uh it was terrifying. I, that was the only experience. Whether it was a glitch in the matrix or it was like a ghost truck, we we still don't know. And, and it's just a terrifying experience. All I got to do is call him and ask him about the truck, and he like he will start <laughs> shivering. So you know that's just that that's my experience that's the only thing I've ever encountered and I I don't know who else has experienced something like that maybe a glitch or whatever but yeah that's it man deuces everyone
0: what do you all think happened in this story how did that truck end up passing their vehicle so many times if there is just one road up the mountain. Interestingly enough, I found a Facebook post mentioning that the Chilhowee Mountain is indeed haunted, and that many stories and legends have been passed down from generation to generation through the indigenous people who have lived on the lands known as the Cherokee. One legend they tell is about a ghostly woman known as the Spearfinger, who has stone-like skin and a very sharp forefinger on her right hand, just as sharp as a spear. Her most dangerous attribute is said to be deception, especially because she would appear as a regular village woman or sometimes a family member to which she would lure unsuspecting children by offering to comb their hair in which she would lull them to sleep, and then proceed to stab them in the back of their neck or through their heart, and then steal their liver for a nice dinner. The attack is said to be so quick that it does not leave a scar, and victims do not realize that they are even attacked until several days later when they begin to feel sick and eventually die. This legend freaked the Cherokee out so much that they became very cautious of strangers approaching their camp, and also kept extreme accountability of of those who lived in their camp by staying close to each other and never letting individuals run off, because it was quite possible that one of these individuals could have come back as a disguise for their spearfinger. Knowing that this legend revolves around the special attribute of deception, I wonder if the car could have been her way of disguising herself to the two guys in the truck, to which if they did get to their smoking spot, she could have approached them and caused harm. Not sure if she could shapeshift into a car, but it's still something interesting to think about. There are other hauntings that are said to happen in that area, such as an orb that many people have experienced while hiking, which is said to be the spirit of a young child that disappeared into the woods back in the 1800s. This orb apparently leads lost hikers out of the woods. With all of that said, we will be back after these messages.
2: Hey Mike, uh, my name is Caleb and uh, I've got a story. So I sleepwalk every now and then and uh, uh, a few days ago, actually no it was a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago I was was having a dream and in the dream I was just walking down this path and the, the path was really long, I would look down and I would just see... Nothing but rock path. And uh, walking down, after a few minutes, I looked down and in my right hand, I had a knife. And it was a kitchen knife. I don't know why I had a knife in that hand. I don't know where the knife came from. But in the dream, I was just walking, walking along. And uh, eventually, I I walked upon this table and this is where the path had ended. There was this table there. And um, I don't. I, I, this is very. This was involuntary in the dream. I set my left hand down, and I started playing that knife game where you you hit once and you hit between fingers, and uh, I, I forget what it's called. But I start doing that, and at one point I hit one of my fingers. I hit my middle finger, and it didn't hurt. And I just start doing it again, and. I wake up, and my hand is on our kitchen table, and I I bloodied every one of my fingers. I had cut a chunk off, and uh, I started yelling because it started hurting all of a sudden. And it was, it was awful. The pain, it just hurt so much. I had crushed a bone. We went to the hospital, and I got everything fixed. Everything's fine now but it was just a weird sleepwalking spell uh, thank you uh, thank you Mad Mike for listening to the listening to this um, So thanks so much I love the podcast uh, and have a good day
0: I think this story was pretty terrifying I myself have sleepwalked when I was little and I remember thinking it was just a dream I was running around the house screaming, and when I woke up, I saw that literally everything in the bathroom was on the floor. Now when we add violence to this, or harm, this is when it gets really creepy. There was actually a sleepwalking case where one guy, Kenneth Parks, who was sleepwalking one night, or maybe I should say, sleep driving drove 14 miles all the way to his in-law's house and ended up stabbing his mother-in-law to death after realizing what he had done he turned himself into the police interestingly enough he was found not guilty however in another case in 1999 Scott Felater of Arizona didn't get off as easy A neighbor witnessed Felater rolling his wife's body into the pool, drowning her head in the water. Apparently Felater, who claimed to have a history of sleepwalking, argued that while he was attempting to fix the family's faulty swimming pool pump in his sleep, his wife had interrupted him, triggering a violent episode. Felater would stab his wife 44 times. Sirens would blare through the windows, loud bangs at the door. Falator was woken up by the police. Falator claimed that four of them were in the house two kids, his wife, and himself. But little did he know, his wife was already dead. Moving on to the next story Do any of you like to visit thrift stores like Goodwill or Salvation Army? I myself love to walk through these stores and, and try to find something unique or special. But sometimes, I can't help but think that most of these things in the store may have belonged to someone who died. And Let's just say that these price tags that we see on the items isn't the only thing that's attached to them. Now, this story is about a woman who bought an old frame at Goodwill for $3. But little did she know, she got a lot more than just a regular frame.
3: At Parker,
0: our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose
3: every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com
0: purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I'll say this to start off. I am an avid Goodwill shopper. Half the furniture in my room and in my closet are from Goodwill. That said, Nothing like this had ever happened to me before, and in the years that it's been since this happened, I've had no experiences. I was shopping casually one day when I came across something I thought was cool. A framed pressed flower on an old-looking piece of paper with faded, elegant handwriting below it spelling the scientific name for the flower. The picture frame looked like it had been painted over, with purple nail polish, and was much, much larger than the paper, in a way that was eye-drawing, but kind of off-center. I would have put it back down, except the flowers look like forget-me-nots, which are my all-time favorite flower, so I spent the three dollars on that, as well as three dollars on a smaller more modern style picture frame. My original goal was to put the flower and paper into the other frame and hang it up. But as soon as I arrived home, it became apparent that that wasn't going to happen. The brown paper on the back of the purple frame was ripped already, and so when I finished ripping it off, I realized that the picture frame was not only stapled shut but nailed. I guess I could have spent the extra 45 minutes digging out the nails and staples, but I didn't. I'm lazy, and I just hung it up the way it was. For two straight weeks, every single night, that picture frame would fall off the wall. It didn't matter how I hung it up. Stick-on hook, thumbtacks, actual hooks, even nails... It would be on my floor by the morning, occasionally waking me up from my sleep when it fell. Some of the times when I woke up, I would hear rustling in the walls, like an animal was moving around in there. I would get up and put my ear to the wall, trying to follow the sound so I could tell my dad where to look in the morning. My dad never found anything. But I was so sure something was moving around, he called a professional pest guy to come check it out. The pest guy didn't find any droppings or signs of life, but he agreed to leave a couple of traps in the attic. Now before I explain the next part, let me lay out my room for you guys. It was a pretty big room, and considering I only had a twin bed pressed against the wall farthest from the door, the room seemed even bigger. The window was directly over my bed, and I like to keep my blinds open because I like natural light and looking at the moon when I sleep. There's also a sister bathroom attached to another identical room on the same wall as the entrance. If you go deeper into the bathroom, where the toilet is, there's a door to the attic There's a fair amount of space in there, but I only went in there when I had to, because there were little tunnels and pockets of darkness that led into the walls of the house. It really creeped me out. That's where the pest guy set the traps, and yet, when I would check them every morning, I would find nothing. It was even more frustrating when the noises started happening earlier in the day or at twilight increasing in frequency and there was this horrible stench I could not explain that seemed to be coming from the walls now too and to be honest about 11 days in I adjusted and grew nose blind to it and it only bothered me a little I only remembered how bad it was when someone else entered my room because they would recoil or comment on it, and they typically didn't stay for long. Around the two week mark, I realized I was dealing with raccoons in my wall. I'd woken up to a knocking sound this time, like someone was banging on my door in the middle of the epic night. I yelled out to, just give me one second, and put on some pants and the almost panic-sounding banging stopped. I opened my bedroom door to no one. And despite being a scaredy-cat through and through, I was so sure that it was someone in my family that I checked the whole house, turned on every light, and woke up my dad and sister, who were apparently sleeping soundly, to ask what was wrong. Then I double-checked the locks on the doors, grabbed a knife, and went back into my room cautiously. Something about even stepping into that room made the hairs on the back of my neck stand, triggered my fight or flight, and I could not fall back asleep. I sat still, listening for anything. I finally allowed myself to lay back and get comfortable. Not ten minutes later, I heard it. A fainter knocking. It wasn't coming from my door though. No, it was coming from my walls. I did not stay in there long enough to investigate after that realization. I flew out of that room and went to sleep with my little sister in her room. She was freaked out already from my shaking her awake and didn't mind me sleeping in there anyway. The following day before school, I had to go back in there to change. It smelled worse than I remembered. Maybe because I hadn't slept in there. I ignored the smell. I ignored the rustling. I spent about three minutes getting ready and then booked it. By the time I got back from school, I wasn't just scared. I was angry. If that was some kind of spirit... Like I thought it might be. It had no business kicking around in my room like it thought it was the boss. It couldn't hurt me if I wasn't afraid. Probably. So, as soon as I got home, I went straight to my room. I cleaned up for a bit, rehung my flower, and then turned off the light as I sat on my bed, waiting. I waited until it started for about an hour, until something made me sit up. I couldn't tell you exactly what. It's not like it got colder or darker. It was only just reaching dusk, and my window still illuminated my room completely, and I had fairy lights hanging over a desk in the corner. But it felt darker, if that makes sense. The air felt heavy. I sat up and strained my ears until I heard a faint knock. First one was on the wall, then a second one closer to me, and then one farther away by my desk. So I did the most stereotypical thing you can do, and I said, Hello? Nothing. Is anyone there? Nothing. Even the knocking stopped. And then I did something I regret a little. Because it confirmed my theory that it wasn't an animal. I said, If someone's there, turn off my lights. I pointed to the fairy lights, but didn't see anything happen at first. Then just long enough to make me roll my eyes at myself. They turned off. I told the spirit to leave, that this was my room and that they weren't welcome there. It actually made me feel better, made the air lighter. I went downstairs and ate dinner. When I came back to go to bed, the picture frame was on the ground again this time the fall had broken the glass and the frame pretty bad i cleaned up the glass propped the thing by my wall and chilled in there until i didn't feel afraid anymore eventually i went to bed that night was the first and last time i have ever experienced sleep paralysis i woke up in the dark sleeping on my stomach, my face at an angle, facing the bathroom door and my desk. I couldn't see the door to my room, or the wall where I hung the picture. I wasn't panicked at first. I knew I couldn't move, but I was relieved I had escaped my dream. Though I can't remember what it was really about. I realized I wasn't alone. I couldn't see anything, but I knew I wasn't. I could feel the presence, distinctly a male presence, and I could feel the darkness in the room intensify. The shadows cast from the window move on my wall as he approached me. I stared at the bathroom door, knowing if I could just move my fingers or my toes. I could just jumpstart my limbs into action and I could get away, but I couldn't. The bed pressed in on both sides of my bed by my feet, like someone had put their hands on either side of my feet. Then, bit by bit, I felt those invisible hands crawl farther and farther upward. I could feel a warm breath on my calves while I lay frozen in terror. I saw the bed move with my very own eyes right by my tilted head. It compressed like someone was putting pressure on it but there was nothing there. The warm breath expelled straight into my neck. It touched my hip hands bigger than the span of my back bigger than any hand I've ever seen it wasn't sexual or anything but it was something pretty close to it it was possessive I couldn't see the thing but I could feel it I could feel its intent it didn't feel aggressive or violent but it felt evil delicious and most of all, it felt smug. I think if I had seen its face, it would have been smiling, and that scared me so much that I finally jerked away from its hold, stumbled to the bathroom, to the next bedroom, literally unable to stop screaming until I was down the stairs. My dad and both my sister rushed towards me freaking out and I immediately burst into tears I told them what happened when I finally calmed down enough my older sister was quick to say it was a dream a scientifically explainable occurrence but my dad and my little sister were a little more willing to believe that it was a ghost We'd grown up hearing scary stories about my dad's haunted house, and we, to this day, are all believers. I threw away the picture a week later, a solid week of sleeping on the couch. I had thought long and hard about when it started, but it didn't take much deduction to conclude that whatever spirit was haunting me was attached to that frame. As I threw it away, I noticed the entire inside of the frame was coated in this sticky, slimy red substance, and it smelled horrible, just like my room had. It was impossible to wash the stuff off, too. took me a good ten minutes and a lot of wasted water. Furthermore, some other creepy stuff happened even after I moved out. But it wasn't nearly that bad. And as much as I hate to be that person, as soon as I got interested in Quakerism and became more religious, all of those problems stopped entirely. What I do think is interesting is why I made this post. I moved out of my dad's house with a friend, and had to move back in at the start of COVID. About four months into it, I became more religious, and it was like a weight was lifted off my chest. At the same time, three things happened that I think are worth noting, even though they didn't scare me. The last one I found out today. Number one. My dad and his employee turned my old bedroom into an office when I moved out. In the same week that I started feeling more like myself, Ben, the employee, came down the stairs looking extremely uncomfortable with a stack of papers in his hand. It was a stack of printed paper that had apparently come out of the printer. It was a slideshow my little sister had made for school, back in ninth grade. It was printing out the pages in a loop, over and over again. Ben had turned off the printer multiple times, but it just kept turning back on and printing the pages out. Apparently, it had been doing that for about a week, he said, and it was starting to scare him. But the funny thing is, That printer has been broken for almost a year. We could never get it to work or ever turn on. And we even had another printer at that point. My dad just never got around to throwing it away. It was also late summer by that point, and my sister was just about to enter 10th grade. Number 2. Not five minutes after he said that, We hear a loud crash and two screams from upstairs. While my sister and her friend were in the bathroom, somehow, her 50-pound giant mirror had crashed onto the floor and shattered into a million pieces. It had been leaning against the wall, and it would take a lot of strength to knock that thing over. It's not something that happens on accident. Both Ben and the friend, left pretty quickly after that, freaked out, although Ben did a better job of concealing it. Number 3. My dad has had sleep paralysis too. Once, and only once. He just told me about it, and as he told me, I got this unsettling feeling. It was within a two-week period of the mirror incident. So, what if I never really got rid of the spirit? What if it had followed me, lost its grip on me, and was looking for a new host? My sister is the most depressed she's ever been in her life, just like I had been when I moved out. I felt like I was going crazy. Let me know, what do you think?
3: Hey, i got a story for you to tell. Alright, about a year ago, stormy night, raining, about one o'clock in the morning. Me and my brother complaining about different issues. All of a sudden we hear footsteps on the ceiling of the camper we're in. Somebody was walking on top of a camper. Mind you, were in the middle of the woods and the Ozarks in Arkansas. I followed walking, hearing the steps on the ceiling until they stopped over my bathroom, where a skylight was located over my toilet. Moments later, I heard that someone had a tool and was unscrewing the screws. I immediately. Who could it be? What is that? What's going on? I ran in fear because I didn't have a phone into my brother's room and jumped in the bed with him. He threw his, the blanket over his head and played possum. I got up against the wall with my eyes barely peeped open, staring at the door, the entry room to the, to the, to his bedroom. Ten minutes later, to a surprise, here comes walking in. A solid black figure, perfect silhouette, of a uh, like our bodies are shaped. Walk into the door. I immediately, my heart just about took a, like I was on a roller coaster ride. Couldn't believe what I was seeing. The entity walked in, turned around, looked at me and my brother in the bed, and sat down Indian style on the floor. And it sat there and it waited. It didn't move, it just sat there. I sat looking at it, peering out of my eyes. I finally thought, well, I'll just ignore it. I need to go to the bathroom, I need to to, to get up, and this thing's obviously sitting there. I, I reached the courage to get up. I walked right beside it. As soon as I walked beside it, the thing immediately jumped up on its feet and began following me. That was the most intense, scariest night I've ever experienced in my life. I immediately grabbed a pack of cigarettes and a plastic trash bag and ran out the front door. When I went out the front door, it immediately pursued me, followed me. I ran around the house thinking that I could beat it on foot. Went underneath my trailer, thought I could hide there. Now as I peered out the hole I was hiding in, I seen two thin sets of legs. I could see his ankles standing there waiting for me to come out of my hole. He didn't want to crawl under. He he knew I'd eventually come out. So I darted out eventually, and I came out. And when I did, he immediately pursued me all over my sister's ranch in the yard. So I decided to lead him away from my family um, so that they would not be harmed if if this thing was going to harm me. Um, He had no eyes. He was solid black, black as night, probably about six foot, very skinny, very skinny. Uh, I don't know if it was a shadow man or, uh, or what it was, but it kept pushing its chest up to the sky and looking up. It never once hurt me, but I could, I felt very intimidated and scared. And, uh, I felt like it fed, fed off my fear. Um, it also, um, led me to a meteorite. So, you know, a good thing did happen to that. But, um, He left a reminder of him being there. He tied the plastic bag that I had. He got a hold of it as I was running to the yard. Mind you, he did follow me for hours. I took him through the woods. He continually followed me. This happened for hours until about daylight, and that's when he vanished. As the sun started coming up, he vanished. But um, I had to go back and pick up my belongings that I had with me that I carried when I had him follow me to the woods away from my family, and... um, That's when I found the meteorite. So, I mean, I got a blessing out of it, but it was very scary. And and the thing did try to communicate with me, and I understand what it was saying. It was letting me know that it was from out in the galaxy in the universe because he kept looking up and throwing his chest. So that's my my scary story, and it did happen uh, 100%. My hand on a stack of Bibles, may I burn in hell. Thank you. Enjoy the story, and have a good day.
0: I think it's very interesting how in this story, the person who encountered the entity came across a meteorite. After doing some research, it appears that in some cultures, meteorites have some sort of connection to the dead. There is a folklore belief that meteors are actually the souls of people who recently died. We would go back to the campfire for this final tale. And this one is all about keeping the family close. My cousin Lloyd passed away a couple of years ago. He had a bad relationship with his daughter, due to choosing his new wife, her stepmother, over her. His daughter never forgave him, and poor Lloyd spent his last years desperately trying to apologize for his horrendous mistakes and make peace, and to try and meet his only granddaughter. Lloyd came to realize that family is everything. It's the only important thing in this life. Sadly, he never did see his daughter or granddaughter. Lloyd would spend his holidays with my family instead. We loved him and tried to give him that family connection he was so desperate for. Last year, I had an enormous fight with my mom and blocked her. About two months after that, things started to go missing. It was just little things at first, once every week or two. One of my favorite makeup brushes, my favorite hand cream, my favorite lipstick, my hairbrush, perfume, and worse, my engagement ring just small very personal items and and only my stuff and they were all items that have a designated place that i don't put down anywhere else over time it became more and more items and more and more frequently until i'd put something down and as soon as i'd reach for it again it'd be gone this was happening daily It was driving me crazy. My house had become super active. The footsteps could be heard at all hours, day and night, doors opening and closing, TV turning itself on in the middle of the night, guitars strumming themselves, whispering, lights turning on and off, you name it. I kept asking for all of my things back to no avail. Then two of my dog's paperwork folders went missing. These folders contain all of my dog's important paperwork, pedigree papers, vaccination certificates, and champion titles. And right now, I need both of these particular dog's folders, as one is about to be bred, and the other needs her booster vaccination, and I need her vac cert to take to the vet with me. I have 10 dogs, and keep these folders all together in my filing cabinet. Only these two were missing. Finally, it clicked. Bloody Lloyd was behind this. I don't know why I made this connection. Perhaps I could feel it was him. I don't know. At this stage, I hadn't spoken to my mom in 11 months i knew that's what lloyd was upset about so i unblocked her number in my phone and told lloyd to stop already i'm doing it a few days later i get a text back from my mom and i answer it we start talking again and the activity stops not another thing goes missing the house is back to its normal level of activity not the freak show it had became. I start asking Lloyd for my stuff back, nothing. A week goes by and it's my mom's birthday. I buy her a gift and go around to her place and have a visit. When I get home, I walk through the door and step on my missing engagement ring. You little beauty, thanks Lloyd, I say. Later that night, I find my favorite makeup brush on the floor of my bedroom. I vacuumed this morning. It definitely wasn't there then. Again, thanks Lloyd. Yesterday, I went out of town to do some Christmas shopping, and as well as buying some presents for other people, I bought my mom a present. I came home and my two dogs' folders were on the dining room table. There's nothing else on that table ever. So, my dead cousin Lloyd is using theft and bribery to make me have a relationship with my mom. If you knew Lloyd, you'd know it was absolutely his style. Family is the most important thing.